Hey all, welcome back to the Rhythm Section, brought to you by The Mind Refinery. I'm your host, Coburn Blair. This week, Kyle and I are talking about DMX, his legacy, and what he meant to us. We hope you enjoy it. And if you like what you hear, remember to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Let's get into the show. So we're back here with the Rhythm Section. We're here today on a somber note to remember the life and times of DMX, uh, we're going to reflect on his music, kind of talk about what it meant to us and his legacy. I'm joined, as always, by Kyle. Kyle, how are you doing today? Doing great. Wish uh, we were having this podcast under better circumstances than this. But I think uh, he's an important artist that we got to talk about. Yeah, it's uh, it sucks to, to be doing this uh, with an artist, you know, of his caliber, you know, with any artist, of, of course. But, you know, someone who I believe was foundational to, you know, growing up. Uh, my music tastes, uh, he was, you know, everywhere, very ubiquitous, um, and just, uh, overall a very important figure. I think that people overlook that idea of him being, you know, fundamental to some people's music, especially people around, you know, like my age or your age, you know what I mean? It's, it's, there's a place in the time this music takes you to. Yeah. I, I think for some reason he's not. And I think he he will be uh, more so now, but he kind of wasn't really mentioned with his contemporaries for a lot of it. And I think his accomplishments, you know, were a little bit undervalued because he was, you know, just performing at such a high rate. Um, and I think, you know, it's kind of a, a thing where like the time that he was performing in and uh, what happened, you know, post, post his era and, and how his peers kind of elevated out of that. Um, I think that's kind of changed the conversation on him a little bit. Uh, yeah, I completely agree because you have people coming out and even like Kendrick Lamar rapping about, you know, what it did, you know, what the music did. And I think that is really going to and some and listen, some there's a lot of groups that are groups or individuals throughout music where that happens. And I, you don't really get to appreciate, you know, like what's happening until you know what an artist did like the velvet underground very influential but you didn't really kind of see how important they were until generations of musicians afterwards kind of framed that they were influenced by them yeah and i think that's what we're going to see a lot with dmx too and i think if you were really looking for it listening to music in the last you know 20 or so years uh, it was pretty obvious the ways that DMX had impacted people, but we're going to dive into that right now. So uh, let's talk about DMX for a second here. Like he's born Earl Simmons, uh, December 18th, 1970, and he passed away last week, April 9th, 2021. Uh, you know, and a very instrumental rapper and, and actor from Yonkers, New York, uh, I believe the School Street Projects. Um, he's so he made a huge impact on the scene. You know, he kind of came into prominence in the post Biggie and Pac era. Um, music was shifting a lot. You know, it was very much the shiny suit era when uh, DMX started making his impact on the game. And he's backed by the Rough Riders as like the leader of them. Um, we saw, you know, countless New York acts kind of have to shift what they were doing um, in response to DMX. So in 1998, he he dropped It's Dark and Hell is Hot. Same year, he also dropped Flesh, Flesh of My Flesh, Blood of My Blood. And then a couple of months later in 1999, he dropped And Then There Was X. So he dropped three albums all within a 18-month period, and they all went platinum, which I don't think we'll see ever again from from an artist and i think that really speaks to you know his prominence and also the era yeah i don't think i i think people overlook how much of a quote-unquote power vacuum there was post you know biggie and tupac because you don't have i mean you have jay-z coming out and his music is good he isn't the power broker he becomes yet we're pre-kanye and there's this you know, gap where he is dominating it. He's propping up Def Jam like for a good period of time, um, along with Jay Z. You know, so I'm not. I think that you know some people they accuse people of being revisionist when an artist passes away, but I think 
you know, this is just something that isn't talked about enough because, you know, he's, it's, it's, you're packed in between two groups of luminaries. You know what I mean? You're, you're packed in between Biggie and Tupac and fucking, um, you know, Kanye West and Jay-Z. So I think you can get lost in the shuffle, but if you're really paying attention to what happened during those periods of time, it's really DMX who's leading the pack. Yeah. And I think that's, it's an, it's a thing that's easy to mix, to miss, sorry, rather, because of how big Jay-Z became and how influential he became, you know, years later. But he was never, you know, the powerhouse of, of rap music like he is today in that era. Like he was always getting outsold by, you know, various other artists who were kind of, you know, the hotter artists of that era. You know, Jay-Z, you know, being my favorite rapper. Um, but I think there's a lot of kind of misunderstanding of what the time periods were and, you know, who was the hottest around in that time period. And I think Jay-Z kind of wins on consistency, but then you have like, you know, the Maces of the day, the DMXs, um, like Nelly, you know, everyone who was kind of in that era selling a lot of records. And I think DMX kind of stands out in the pack because he's from New York. He brings a new sound and he's also like friendly with Jay-Z. He's, you know, friendly with Ja Rule to a point, both like, you know, friendships that were kind of like very competitive at times what would you say was your introduction to dmx well on the pod last week i talked about grade nine and how you know rough riders anthem was everywhere and that was the first immersion into it but i think it was really working in kitchens later in high school i worked at jack Astor's, um and then the keg and uh you know, like you're in the kitchen. Anybody who's worked in a kitchen knows what I'm talking about. There's always these like CDs that were on the regular playlist. You know what I mean? Because this is before streaming. So you just, sorry, not streaming. Sorry. Uh, you know, before Spotify and all that. So, and even, I mean, f- fucking iPods dating myself. So there's like a little bit of a rotation of CDs that you would have. Someone would bring their book in. I'd bring my book in. I I would just go to the mall, buy a bunch of CDs and fucking bring them back to work and stuff. And the one, and it was, uh, it's dark and hell is hot was one of the ones we listened to so much. Like we played the fuck out of it. And that's where I actually got to listen to the album tracks because like, you start to get into these songs that just playing over and over again. You're starting to listen to it and you're starting to know it. And then knowing the lyrics, knowing lyrics of songs that you don't even necessarily know the, like the track name to yet. That's where I really, really got into it. In fact, I would say that I got into hip hop, like, because like I was talking about my aunt Alicia, older aunt. Um, it's kind of like my older sister. Sorry. Uh, but where I really came to know it and like get knowledge of it was in kitchens prepping stuff listening to the stuff over and over and over and over and over again and uh it's dark and hell is hot was one of those albums that was listened to and the the singles are great but the, there's album tracks on there that are so fucking incredible that i'm just like this is good and i i think it's probably i don't know probably it's his best album and i i just think that almost every single song on it is fantastic and and that was really caught me into dmx being more than just you know flashing out singles because they were big singles but it just there were the, the breadth of work because at times the music was funky and at times it was raw and it was just all these different things kind of coming together and it was unafraid to be any of the things it was. And I just kind of really loved that. And you could get hype on it. You could get introspective on it. It was good for, you could chill on it a bit. It, it was, that that's kind of what really kind of brought me into DMX and, you know, understanding right away that there was a level he was playing at compared to other people uh, at the time because, you know, the, he was the luminary. Yeah. And I, I think so much of like DMX is kind of like, shrouded in mystery in some ways because he was such a driving force like i think for me like it's dark and hell is hot and flesh by flesh those are albums that i remember just seeing always at hmv as a kid and like there were definitely albums that i wasn't allowed to have you know being seven years old when when, um (laughs) they both came out but i remember like pointing to you know flesh of my flesh and i wanted that album because you know it was an album that everyone at school was talking about in that time period and like i knew the singles like as you know singles as a kid kind of just heard on the radio or like coming out of cars or whatever and 
I remember my mom taking one look at the album cover and just telling me that I would never own that album in my life. <laughs> so, so yeah, I, like I remember the power of the imagery that he was using and like in a, a lot of ways, I think, you know, Eminem gets ascribed the horrorcore label a lot. And we look later on at um, Odd Future and other acts in that kind of genre. And I think DMX kind of gets left out of the conversation there and in his con- contributions to that genre within rap because he was, you know, making songs that really fit that that mold. And, you know, when I listen to Damien on Flesh of My Flesh, which I think is... Wait, sorry, is that on Flesh of My Flesh? No, I think that might be later on. Because there's three Damien's. I'm trying to remember what yeah. what album what albums they're on. I think the first one Damien's on. Uh, it's dark and hell's hot. The first one. Okay, it's uh, yeah, it's dark as hell hot. And I think that song like alone, you know, it reminds me of you know the Eminem songs of the era. And he's playing with voices. He it reminds me of you're hearing like influence of Biggie. Yeah, like on uh, Give Me the Loot, where it's like the two people, you know, the two guys robbing shit. Uh, he does the two, like the high pitched voice. Yeah, that's I didn't I didn't even think about that. Yeah, and I think that's like you know it's it's amazing. I love concept records like that one, and that one you know is such an important record. And I think that's you know one that Kendrick Lamar points to as being specifically influential to him. Um, and like you see it a lot with with Kendrick's music with the, with the voice changing changes and um, the, the narrative arcs. So I think that like DMX came out the gate so hard. You had Swiss Beats, you know, kind of there from day one. Rough Riders Anthem, like completely inescapable, just a huge, huge smash hit. How it's going down, like I think as a like a love song, um, as like a softer song, is also amazing. And Get At Me Dog and like the barking. Get out very, dog is so fucking good. It's so good. And like, it was just very stripped down and raw compared to, you know, a lot of what was going on in, in the era. But he was also like collaborating with everyone else who was like around in that era. So it's funny about his just because, you know, the and I don't, definitely don't think it's an act because he grew up. It's rough. And, you know, he, he admits later, you know, and even not even later at the time as well on the music that, you know, there is absolute trauma that's affected him. Um you know he there he, he's still kind of you know he's he's got this menace but very open to ideas and collaborations and artistic relationships and growing things from there and kind of just through that having an understanding of being grateful for being afforded that opportunity and i think like every time you see him he's there's a level of humble that he has that isn't in a lot of rappers if you watch interviews yeah i think like you know in this kind of post uh post death period and you know just kind of soaking up everything his interviews i think hold like true the longest and they really speak to who he was you know outside of the headlines outside of the music and you know just seeing like he's telling like real stories in his interviews and the same stories you know carry on through the music but he's such like a a larger than life figure while also being so humble and so down to earth and i think that you know we we don't see that too often in in superstars yeah you're, you're not seeing it too much i mean there's always posturing and it's branding and all these other things thrown into it but his music is and and just his attitude towards and positivity towards it despite kind of all the bad shit that's happened um was always inspiring i i I liked that you talked about um just the storytelling um tradition with him and you know taking from artists like biggie because i mean he's really like his stuff is really narrative driven and you see it on like crime story which that is probably maybe one of my one, two favorite songs on um, Is Dark and Hell's Hot. It's just really cool. It's got an unconventional beat. I think it's a like a, just a bongo kind of or like um, a conga or something like very tapped out. Um, and it's really just just really good. And it's telling the story, not even relying on like bars or verses. It's just sometimes the stream of conscious narrative and it really kind of transports you to a place and to a certain lifestyle that, you know, and that's why it hit hard in the, in the suburbs, right? Cause it hit that critical mass across, you know, across the United States, across North America, across the world. 
and a lot of that is to do with the storytelling tradition that he really kind of employs with it, which is absolutely fantastic. So his singles seem to have like an almost inescapable nature. They, you know, resonated across movies, TV, you know, obviously on the radio, like everywhere. You know, party between like party up in here, you know, get at me, dog, Rough Riders anthem, where the hood at. How would you, you know, start to describe his genre to people who might be un- unfamiliar with him? I think coming out of the era that he was coming out of, I think the inclination is to say that it's gangster rap. But the thing that, like, the thing with gangster rap is that it doesn't usually talk about redemption. Like some, you know, I, I, people will be like, uh, obviously you haven't listened to this. It's yeah, there, there is tracks about redemption and there's sometimes, but a lot of it is about a certain way of life, conveying a certain way of life. And then as it evolves, glorifying a certain way of life. And there was this always back, always this back and forth in his music where between who he is and was and who he has to become, it's always like a back and forth between redemption and uh you know and what he has to do to survive so i think if you wanted a music that expressed both the light and dark about living in the streets and operating in the streets this that's what it is i don't know how i can kind of frame it with a single like buzz term but it really kind of shows both sides of what it is like and and is consequential as well yeah like i remember having a conversation with my friend and he kind of put him in the gangster rap category. And I was like, I don't see DMX as a gangster rapper at all. Like, even though, you know, he has stories that are, you know, pretty raw and he's, you know, from New York and he's telling it in such a way. But like, I think, you know, he bounces between like horrorcore elements. He is giving you, you know, at times like reminds me of like boot camp, boot camp click. Um, Onyx, you know, that kind of braggadocious, really raw. Onyx is the one that really hits for me in terms of where I think what he's like, you know? Yeah, and I think so too. And I think that like, it reminds me of the early New York kind of really stripped down boom bap, but there's elements of like pop in there a little bit. You know, he kind of reminds me sometimes maybe like of the ludicrous, like later ludicrous stuff that would come out kind of echoes some of what DMX was doing there. But it was a, you know, it was wide encompassing and there was a lot of emotion behind it too. Like I wouldn't call it like emo rap, like quote unquote, but he was never afraid to be himself or to be raw or to be in touch with his emotions. And I think that if you kind of don't know his music that well, you might kind of want to point to gangster rap because of maybe the imagery or, you know, well, the singles. I think that's yeah, the thing. Yeah, the singles. It yeah. is the singles, right? Because when you just... This is the problem with just going by the singles and why I don't think you can rate an album just... like you, I mean, uh, it's common sense. You can't rate an album just by the singles because the album tracks is where you start to really spiral into the the headspace if it's a good album. And Stark as Hell is, and Hell is Hot like really does that. Um, Flesh of My Flesh as well does that. It, it takes you to the story. I mean... I love Jay-Z and he's probably in my one, two, be my top three favorite rappers. Because if I watch, if I listen to like, even with all the bombast and, you know, the, 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 the posturing that Jay-Z does, if you listen to Jay-Z's albums, you know about Jay-Z, you know, his life and what he's gone through. Like he's told that story and DMX has gone that too, has done that as well. Yeah. And I would definitely agree there. I think that like, you know, with, DMX's kind of output and legacy, I think a lot of people didn't really get past the singles, you know, despite him selling, you know, multiple, multiple platinum albums. I think that maybe to a, a younger sector's generation, they don't really understand who DMX was outside of the the singles that they heard everywhere. Um, and I think that's kind of like a, a disservice. And I hope that, you know, now that he is passed, that people kind of look back and and um you know put a light on some of the the topics that he was speaking about on this on the deep cuts and you know just get a better sense of who he was on the whole yeah and the, i feel like the singles especially in that era singles really kind of over took what the import i mean that's where you really see the erosion the beginning of the erosion of the album for a while 
You know what I mean? And we, we talk about it kind of making its comeback in the last little bit, but like this is, it's the singles become the whole thing and you lose that and you start to lose. Yeah. What the, what the overall quality of the albums are, but like his, especially his first three albums are like real, they're really good. They're really well put together. And I mean, some of them are a little bit more tracks than I like as anybody who listens to the show knows, but they're consistent and they sold consistently for good reason. So we've mentioned Jay-Z obviously a couple times here because they were, you know, definitely contemporaries. We haven't really talked about Ja Rule and, and that connection yet. But, you know, there was a point in time when they were going to do a super group uh, with the three of them. So Jay-Z, Ja Rule and DMX. I believe we got a cover of Double XL with the three of them on it. And uh, it was going to be called Murder, Inc. So we got, a, I think, a few tracks with the three of them on it. How do you think hip hop would have been impacted if we did get that super group, you know, in, in the early 2000s? Counter question, if this super group was put together, would Fire Festival have worked out uh, better for uh, Ja Rule? Would he have had the the pull to make it happen? I'm just throwing I mean, it out there. That's a good question. That's a. I think he. I think he would. You could well because you got a little bit of that Jay Z backing, not this fucking. I don't know. My, listen, I'm, I'm gonna. I mean, my prejudices towards the music of Ja Rule aside, I mean, this probably would have been kind of fucking awesome, right? Like, especially just Jay Z and DMX, like. I apologize if I'm hating on Ja Rule, but, like, this would have been really cool. There would have been cool. This would have been something where the album... Like, can you imagine how hyped this music would have been? Yeah, and I'm a big fan of all three of them, and I think Ja Rule kind of doesn't get enough flowers for his contributions to rap in in the early 2000s and, you know, his crossover appeal. I wonder, you know, if we got that group, if we would have seen uh, 50 Cent be able to come into rap and impact the same way and, and to kind of, you know do what he did because i think that would have maybe closed up that lane a bit for him like you know he kind of made his point to beef everybody around and obviously hit a long-standing rivalry with jaw rule but i think you know his some shots at, at 50 i don't think he sorry at, at jay-z i don't think he would have wanted to get into it if the three of them were you know kind of united and they had a presence on the charts and it definitely you know, would have reshaped it definitely would have reshaped his relationship with jaw rule for sure because jaw rule would have had i mean like Ja Rule, you like these. You can't touch these three if they're together, right? Like that's like especially at that time, uh, you you know you're getting a lot of the weight of hip hop. But at the same time, I know like Fifty Cent is on. Uh, I'm trying to remember what fucking. I think there's a Fifty Cent feature on, and then there was X or was it the next one? I can't remember. So like he was like DMX was like getting him on it too. I'm wondering. I, I, I think that's a valid question, though, just about the overall impact, because, like, when 50 Cent came in, it was a massive impact on the industry and, like, had a, a massive effect on hip-hop. I'm wondering if it's just a little less tempered because 50 Cent was filling a particular situation that wasn't happening at the time. Yeah, and and I see, you know, some influence from DMX in 50 in, in his early work. And I, and I just wonder, you know, if that kind of spot was occupied by like a, a New York super group, you know, if there would have been space for 50 to shake shake New York up the way he did because he was, you know, allowed to do that because Ja Rule was, you know, so poppy at the time and DMX was, you know, a bit less active and Jay-Z was thinking about retiring. So I think it was a perfect power vacuum again in the same way, um, def- like other definitely- power vacuums we've discussed. Yeah. It definitely pulls in a different direction. I mean, like, it, it has its own gravitational pull if it comes together. That's the thing with artists of that size is that, you know, who then who's coming in being on it? You know what I mean? Who's coming, who's coming in on it? Are we getting, like, the possibilities become endless and it becomes one of those big musical what-ifs. Who's to, who's to say I wouldn't have liked Ja Rule if he was with those guys? All of a sudden, my whole, per- like, it's a butterfly fleck, uh, effect type situation here. Like I, I, how many super group rap supergroups are better than that? If that comes together, yeah, I don't know, and like I don't think we we didn't really see that many in in the early two thousands. Like that would be comparable to that to that level. So I think that would have you know definitely shifted everything up, and you know it would have been a big uniting factor in New York at the time. They would have been the Heatles. Uh, yeah, you said it. I said it. So I'd say like DMX was like, you know, very in touch with him, his emotions as I kind of hinted at before, you know, despite his gruff delivery, 
he really made a lot of heartfelt songs about his upbringing and his life situation. You know, he was very in touch with his Christianity. I love Huey B's elements and topics like, you know, just about the system and society. Uh, Slipping is, you know, a very personal song. How do you think his legacy kind of contributed to breaking down some of the the walls of emotions and, um, you know, masculinity in rap? What I like about Slippin' and it coming out like on the second album and just like in the first year is that it sets a really big emotional tone. Not that stuff off it's dark and hell's hot didn't it sets a very emotional tone as well it's just that slip and got a little bit more attention than some of the album tracks on it's dark as hell uh it's dark and hell is hot it's it really fucking great track i mean there's an honesty about his music i mean he owns his shit generally and you know he found god later in you know he really kind of found god again later in his life and that was really included in his music i mean one thing about really great rappers and artists as i said is if you listen to their albums you kind of get a glimpse of their life and where they've been and where they're going and like what their spirituality is and i think that as dmx got older i think his music did fall off but i don't think it was necessarily from a pen standpoint because even if when like even when he was being boastful there was like a, a, a substance to it and a darkness and light playing and together and he was unabashed about all these different things he went through in his life and and didn't hide from it and owning that every step of the way and you see him going back between sin and redemption and i think if a guy who's that quote-unquote hard in an industry that is at that especially at that time was defined by machismo and you know testosterone and you know being tough if this guy who has clearly had a bad life and is clearly tough is willing to be out there and put himself on the line and wear his heart on his sleeve there is something to take influence from that and i think that's where you see like like you listen you see guys like 50 cent and stuff and 50 cent is impact is immeasurable like dmx he doesn't really tell you tons about him from an emotional standpoint and his feelings and dmx does that and that's why a guy like kendrick lamar comes out because he he feels that and feels that there is something more than just fucking rough riders anthem which is a fantastic fucking track it's just like it becomes too much of the of the thing when the people in the know know about like the levels he's able to take it from like a self-expression standpoint yeah, and I, I think that, like, he was someone who kind of made it okay to do these things and to talk about these things. And, you know, I, I think that a lot of times people kind of give, don't give hip-hop enough credit for, you know, its content, its lyrical content and the emotions it talked about and expressed because, you know, they see hip-hop as this one way or these only these gangster tracks or whatever it is. So, like, these things have been, you know, always present in hip-hop. And, you know, they will continue to be. But I think that DMX was a bastion of of it where he could be, you know, this really hard DMX, like the dogs, the motorbikes, that kind of thing. And he he also on the same album, he would give you, you know, a lighter side of him and, and he would really talk about his upbringing. And I think that's important. I think the duality of DMX is something that I've seen uh, often repeated and we're hearing about in stories and interviews and everything it's, it's just that how complex and how big a heart he had and i think that i think to me speaks the most about you know dmx and i think that is just always reflected in, in his career absolutely so I, dmx no continue yeah so dmx you know realized what seems like fairly early on that he wasn't getting properly compensated for his music. Uh, there's a story that was floating around about Def Jam executives buying DMX a car and then him going back to his accountant and realizing that the car was bought out of his, his uh, earnings. So he uh, he branched out into acting, um, which you know is not an uncommon thing and you know dating back to you know, Will Smith and the Fresh Prince and, you know, various actors have uh, have rapped and various rappers have, have acted. But he appeared in films like Belly in 1998, uh, Romeo Must Die with Ali and Jet Li in 2000, Exit Wounds and Cradle to the Grave. 
what do you think about DMX's acting career and have you seen many movies that he's been in? I've probably seen definitely all the movies here. Uh, as many people know who listen to the wider Mind Refinery podcast, uh, podcastography, uh, I come from a family who loves fucking action movies, especially ones that aren't, you know, particularly highbrow. Uh, I've seen all of them. Romeo Must Die is my favorite. It's fucking awesome. It's not high cinema, but it is like he can act like that's 100. That's the thing. And I think he could have acted in other stuff as well. But Romeo Must Die was sick. He works so well with uh, Jet Li. I mean, Exit Wounds uh, is what it is. Uh, I mean, big... Steven, Seagal, Steven Seagal's in it. What are you going to do about yeah, it? Yeah, that's a, this is what I'm saying. And like, and my big note here, I'm just like looking at uh, what I've typed. It's like when he's not with Steven Seagal, perfect. Uh, when he's with Jet Li, that's fine because it's like they can play off each other. He's, you know, a little bit more boisterous. Jet Li is quiet. You know, so it kind of works out. Uh, Aaliyah was in Romeo Must Die as well. Is it that the one she was in? Yes, that's the one she's in. Yeah, she's fantastic. Um, R.I.P. Um, so yeah, I mean, I loved it. Like these fucking DMX movies were fucking awesome, and he was in cool movies. I think that uh, I really can't believe that he never got a chance to be in a uh, Fast and the Furious. I think Ludacris just kind of talk. Like I feel like he. I mean, good ja-, ja Rule had it first, and he kind of like you know flopped on it. We just you know saw the trailer for the new one, and Ludacris. Ja Rule, is fu- I think Ludacris. Yeah, is he took over for him pretty much. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, yeah, you don't you don't seem to be a big Jaw Rule fan, so I'll, I'm I'll not, leave it at you that. know what though? Hold on a second here. It's it's correct, but listen, maybe I'm being unfair, and some people will listen to this and just immediately be like, "What the fuck is wrong with you?" But I want to know what you think about Belly. That is the what I want to know. Do you like Belly? Belly, Belly is one of my favorite hip hop movies. Uh, from the opening sequence. It plays out, you know, some of Nas's lyrics uh, from Illmatic. Um, there's some great scenes. I think DMX, like, floored me. This is his first role, I'm pretty sure. And he just really, really did a good job in it. I love Hype Williams. It was over the top. It, um, I would say it's like, you know, almost like a new black exploitation or like a little bit of a B-movie but with you know, it's really well shot to me. Very big music video, to, uh, like aesthetics, and I think you know I really love that movie, and I've seen it like you know multiple multiple times. Any scene with DMX in Jamaica is golden. The yeah, DMX I, in I'm Jamaica, I can't wait to watch it again. He can like this is what I'm saying. He can he can act. I thought that he he maybe should have got more opportunities outside of this kind of stuff because in Belly, like, and I, that's a movie I've watched so many fucking times and i just it's i don't know it's like one big long hype williams video so i feel like i watched that movie on an ipod ipod classic at, at one point um and maybe <laughs> some of our listeners won't, won't know what that is but uh, ipod it's classic, a very yeah. very very small screen to watch a movie on. i will say this the ipod classic uh it's like a fucking dumpster for fucking music huge fucking uh huge fucking di- I, I i still got mine but yeah, I mean, I would it, I would take a I would take a new one if they made one. I would be if they made that. if they made they should do that. Make another. One. It's friggin' because sometimes I don't want my phone, my music together, all this kind of shit. You know how it is. Or like I got it's yeah. It's a, it's a whole other podcast. But yeah, I mean, like DMX was. I think he's definitely one of the better you know rapper actors for sure. I think he just generally got it. Yeah, I, I wish he I wish he uh, got more roles. You know, out, like outside of these four, I would say you know three of them maybe all four are his like big big movies um he has an appearance in the chris rock movie top five later on um within the last like you know decade um but outside of that he did a lot of like direct to dvd movies which are probably i don't know direct to amazon or direct to netflix movies now yeah would be the equivalent but i think that he was a fantastic actor and i know he you know had a lot of personal struggles so that might have precluded him from, you know, picking up more roles. But I wish he, I wish he had more roles in in top tier movies. I could see him like included in, you know, some of the action movies that, you know, have been produced in the last like ten to fifteen years. Like he could have had great, like, you know, small roles in those. Listen, if Gerard Butler can land leading roles, then fucking DMX can fucking act in something worthwhile. Because, come on, like he was, he's good. So while we're on the topic of his acting during 
the filming of Exit Wounds here in Toronto, DMX uh, was in town shooting. He also happened to make a cameo appearance riding ATV in Canadian rock band Sum 41's Makes No Difference video off their first EP. Did you catch that cameo when it aired on Much Music? Yes, because we watched the shit out of it and he i mean because we always had much music on all the time like just constantly just on in the background and he comes in i think it's the car crashes through the house and it's like a wide shot but then and he comes in in the, in the, the kind of the fucking wide shot but then you get a good few seconds like directly at his face and i thought that was cool because like he seems like such a super serious person and then he does cool stuff like this and you're like this guy has a sense of humor so yes we caught it right away also people were like talking about it in school and shit like yo this is happening this is this happened no he's on this and fantastic i loved it i like this kind of shit i love it when so, like when people show up in videos like that yeah i, I mean i'm a huge music video fan i love everything about the art and i think cameos are you know just like i love having moments like this that we can kind of look back on and especially when we lose somebody like DMX and be like, hey, he appeared in this pop punk video in 2001. Like, what the heck? That's such like a, a rare moment and it's such a special moment. Mm-hmm. How do you think how do you think this happened, though? Like, I, like, I'm wondering, like, who made the calls and like, who was like, we need DMX in this. Did OK, I guess my question is Def Jam's parent company at the time. Do you know? Do you remember what it was? They went it would through, be universal. I'm wondering if it's the so same. Be, is is it the same labels? I'm, that's kind of what I'm running. Wondering. I think I think that's what it might be because uh, some 41 was on Island, so Island eventually fused with Def Jam to become Island Def Jam. I think they've since split up now. But it was before it was back when I think Vivendi owned both companies. Yeah. So I built. Yeah, it seems like it's most likely. That just seems like a, a weird call, or like I wonder if there was like. They you probably know, knew he was filming. Someone like in the marketing. Yeah. They probably thought they probably knew probably knew he was in town. Uh needed someone to do that and they're just like, "Yo, let's see if he'll do it. We're on the same label. I wonder if we can make that happen." That seems like yeah, a we're smoking I, weed that, kind of like, thing. Like that seems like a we smoked weed and came up we're like, "Yo, we should do that." Yo, DMX would be great in this. He's in fucking town. That's fucking crazy. That yeah, He's the biggest I, rapper I that's in the world a great right story. now. Yeah, I fucking love I would that. love I'd love to hear from some 41, like, you know, and ask them about like that day and what filming that scene was like, because that's just like so amazing to me. Yeah. All the background in there and stuff. You come in and the fucking DMX is there. Like how fucking sick. Like, that's the thing about music videos. And I just kind of like generally miss about shooting music videos. It's just like how fun they are. They're absolutely a blast to shoot uh, most of the time. There are times where they are not because uh, usually you're just kind of, you know, even if uh, even if they have big budgets, you're like you're kind of just having fun and playing with concepts and stuff, and like it's cool stuff like that happening on them is what makes what makes them really cool. Dude, driving through, I want to know how they got like what's like the house, like how would they? I wonder able- where the house is. I, that needs to be like a like a, a a video series, you know, like looking at that house now or like asking like the owners or something like that. That would be really fun to find yeah. out about. Because I was thinking about it too. Like I did this video, um, I did this music video. I can't remember for the fucking band. It was with the last production company uh, that I had, and uh, we directed a music video where a dude drove a motorcycle through a dollar store, and we had access to the dollar store because we had access to the dollar store because the lead singer's dad was a property manager or like a like he did fucking um industrial industrial real estate so like this place was closing down it used to be a dollar store so we got to just basically trash it before it got sold and ripped down and i was like okay that this is a weird circumstance that we were allowed to do that and then i was watching that video and i'm like how who let this happen that was the number one question who let dmx ride a fucking you know atv through the house like i'm like were they tearing it down were they selling it like question mark yeah, I, I want like a, a mini documentary on this. This is this is my ask for this year. <laughs> it's a good idea. So since his death, you know, we've heard multiple stories about DMX's nature, his ability to connect with people. Like, are there any ones that like have floated around that you heard of that you wanted to, you know, share or talk about or thought were funny? I mean, generally it's 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 more the accumulation of the stories and 
remembering how he affected his community and just and this and it's even more glaring now that you know because you know we find to hear stories about him not being you know compensated properly just like his level of generosity to the community and being generous in his interviews about sharing the things that are you know were troubling him and that were holding him back and being generous with that in terms of sharing it with people so people can see it like he was that kind of is is the is the the not the criticism sorry the stories th that really are are coming out and that people just really liked fucking working with him yeah like i think that like you just get a really a full sense of who he was outside of the music when you start to hear some of the stories like i remember seeing a video of him dancing at this albanian wedding the albanian wedding video is fucking and and then the roller coaster yeah that's that's just oh him on the roller coaster is like such a classic video like it's so yeah. great I remember that other story too about him in London in like 2003 and he was like, you know, supposed to get the chauffeur to drive him to a venue or, or a music video shoot or something like that. But he told the chauffeur he was going to be driving instead. Obviously he's driving in London, like probably shouldn't be driving in London. And he just, <laughs> he just drives to a toy store and buys a bunch of, uh, I think he buys like these, those like model planes and there's a kid in the toy store with him and he invites the kid to go to the park with like him and his mom and like his whole entourage and they go fly this like toy plane in the park and and at the end dmx signs it and then goes to whatever he has to go to and he's just like gives this kid this autograph like you know like you know a couple hundred dollar plane and I think that's just such an such an amazing story. Just takes time to make a kid's day. Yeah, like just for like, you know, at the height of his stardom and at the height of his career, just like amazing. How many people are doing that? Right? Yeah. Like how many people who how many people are, are are doing that kind of shit? So I think also, you know, with DMX, you know, we've talked a lot about his music and his career and his output. Which where are you seeing DMX's influences in, in music today? Like, who are there any artists to you that you know you've been listening to? Where you're like, oh yeah, I can kind of see where DMX kind of fits into their, you know, family tree, or you know, you see kind of flashes of of DMX and what he brought to the game through them. I saw it in definitely members of G Unit because I just like. I felt like I saw it more in someone like Lloyd Banks than I saw in 50 Cent because Lloyd Banks was just always a little bit more, again, a bit, not totally, uh, but it was a bit more reflective of just like what that situation is and that kind of shit, like on the documentary. Um, but I mean, again, we've mentioned it a number of times. Kendrick Lamar seems to make the both most sense because, I mean, he leans a little more on the less braggadocious side, but like there is that playing with light and dark and being... And just knowing that you can openly talk about your spirituality in a sense, like if you look at To Pimp a Butterfly, there's a lot about his spirituality and being close to God, far from God, how his uh, how his life and what turned out and, you know, his street rivalries and all that kind of stuff had that effect on. And I think, again, that's where DMX you know, looms large. I'm always tripped out that Drake cites him as an influence. I don't know. I I, I mean, like, it's just funny. I'm mean, obviously I I I fucks with Drake. He's fantastic. But uh, I'm always like, kind of like, uh, where in the forest till that shit come from? Yeah, I think like you know, Kendrick cites Damien as an inspiration for the character of Lucy, who appears on um his album. And I think that you know when you have the Drake kind of flipping. Uh, how it's going down on on you with me on views I, like that that's kind of came true. Out yeah, of, yeah 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 that came, was cool it came out of nowhere but i think it was like it was super he really pulled you know those elements out, out of dmx and i think that's like it speaks to you know how varied and, and how complex dmx was that you could like pull that inspiration and, and you know completely change the song and and you know kind of make it into something else but like it's really getting it down to the brass tacks of what that song was. Um, and I th think that way of, you know, pulling inspiration is, you know, it's really commendable by someone like Drake to be like, okay, let me look at the superstars of, my, of you know, that I grew up on and let me pull in different ways. Cause like, that's, I think automatically going to happen. You know, anyone you listen to, you're going to get 
kind of soak it up in osmosis. So, you know, when Kendra kind of mentions DMX or Eminem or all these other people, you can kind of hear it in different songs and different aspects of who they are. And I think that, you know, Drake being the superstar that he is, like pulling uh, from DMX in that way. And I think there's other kind of references, various references to DMX throughout Drake's catalog. And I think that it really speaks to, you know, the outlook and also just how big DMX was and how varied and what he had to offer. I think it definitely speaks to Drake kind of knowing what's important and being able to kind of translate that and, you know, find value in things that maybe don't always make a lot of sense sonically all the way. But then when you really actually look at it more like not superficially and, you know, pick things apart, it's all there. And, you know, great artists are influenced by great artists and, that it makes complete sense it makes the music is worthy of influencing people and you know drake savvy so he saw the value in it and incorporated it into his sound when it might not seem obvious but it more seems deft at this point so looking back on it we've like talked about a lot of different aspects of dmx who he was you know the albums that meant a lot to us how do you think he will be remembered on a whole and how do you think hip-hop will remember him I've spent a lot of time going through like top 50 and top 100 lists in terms of like the greatest hip hop albums of all time. So, you know, first of all, like the two, like if you're looking at what is the legacy and how hip hop will remember him, how popular music will remember him, he has to be, he's arguably, uh, arguably it's dark and hell is hot is in the top 50 album, rap albums of all time. It's absolutely in the top 100 rap albums of all time. And if you consider how many rap albums are put out on a regular basis, that's a fucking lot. And that is a big thing. He's in with luminaries and that is an album that is, is for the ages. I mean, his, what is it? His, his first three albums were critically acclaimed. Uh, his third album was certified five times platinum. He's had five number one records in a row. Was it five to debut at number one? In a row, I know his first two yeah. albums debuted at number one in the same fucking year, which is never. Is that, I'm pretty sure that's the only time that's happened. I think that in the same calendar year, like that is like, it's, it's mind-boggling when you when you consider how low-key it seems now, but it was huge back then, and like these are hallmarks of the greats. And if anyone slept on how popular he was, uh, I think when he did the verses thing he, with Snoop Dogg, it really kind of. And I'm so glad that happened. I'm so glad that you know that is because obviously it's a year later he's passing away, and a lot has been said about you know his troubles with the government his troubles with you know drug addiction you know and and all the things and instead of like focusing on you know the negativity which he never denied and he never ran away from he tr he tried to fight it head on and that is courageous and to that we we got that last look of that 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 look of him you know what i mean that the older dmx is remembered through giving this really awesome moment amidst this fucking like a moment of communal enjoyment where everyone's talking about it and you know like making jokes about it and fucking making memes in this whole terrible fucking pandemic it was like a really big bright spot in the earlier part of it and i just am glad that it's him who got to do that and that he got to you know, like, that's the thing, you know what I mean? That's one of the big ways we'll remember him. And now there's so many conversations going on about just how prolific he was. And I'm just, as a guy who didn't deserve this kind of fate, it's great that he at least, like, the legacy, I believe, will be uh, secure. Yeah, I definitely agree there. And I think that the verses was such a great moment and an outpouring of love for DMX and just a time for people to reflect on him. Um, while he was still here with us. And I think that that's important because I don't think a lot of artists get that. And, you know, I think that really speaks to how big and how important Versus has been during the pandemic, um, even going forward. So I'm glad that that happened. And, you know, I think it, even when that was happening, it made me kind of go back and, and reevaluate, you know, my version of DMX in my head because I think I absorbed a lot of DMX through osmosis and through 
you know, listening to records through other people and on the radio and stuff like that. So just kind of going back and appreciating all his albums. And I'm glad that, you know, we have all his music that he gave us and, you know, it's at our fingertips and we can kind of sit with it and, and just really enjoy, you know, who he was on the whole. So I think he's going to be really well remembered. And I think we're going to see a lot of people kind of start to emulate, you know, certain things that he had brought into music, certain things that, you know, videos. And I think that his legacy will be forever entrenched. And I think that, you know, now with his passing, as you know, often happens, but I think that he will be more cemented and better remembered um, than he was before this. Because, you know, he really is a foundational artist, you know, foundational to East Coast hip hop, foundational to a lot of genres within hip hop. And yeah, I just think that, you know, I'm going to be over the next couple of weeks uh, watching a lot of his movies and just continuing to listen and continuing to appreciate who he was and what he meant. I think when people, especially artists, pass away, there is some nostalgia and you know myth mythologizing but i think with dmx and his passing people are finally starting to say exactly what should be said yeah i think i would definitely agree there well kyle i want to say thank you so much for joining me on this to talk about dmx and to reflect i'm always down for dmx talk yeah me too me too um i think we'll be back you know fairly soon with another episode but it was important to kind of take this time to appreciate and, and reflect on DMX. So, yeah, pour one out for our homie DMX. All right. Talk to you guys soon.